Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are ready to rock. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father God, we don't have the capacity to take these words and understand them and apply them without the Spirit, which gave them in the first place the Holy Spirit. We're so thankful, God, that this isn't some idea from man, but breath of God that can get down into our souls, the one who created the human heart, can speak to it, and we yield our will to to know what you want of us in this hour, in these days when it depends on us to, to shine brightly the light and not to shrink back, but to have boldness and confidence, holding out the word of life and shining like the stars of the universe, as Philippians 2 says. May this time increase our devotion and our steadfast love for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're having a little bit of a heat wave, aren't we? Which I love here starting with summertime now. And it got me thinking about growing up in New England where summers are a little different. They're warm and wet really humid, you know, not like here, so dry and pleasant. And so I was remembering back in in those days, we had a barometer on the back porch. And, uh, you know, the lower the needle plunged, the nastier the weather. And I'd always like to go check it out because I didn't want any rain to ruin the summer fun as a kid. Right, and so, yes, the, the gauge goes down and the foul weather approaches. Well, if you had a spiritual barometer uh, and you are turning to Matthew 12, uh, the needle would be dropping precipitously um, because there's some foul weather ahead. The Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, are conspiring to commit murder of the Son of God. They're taking aim now. The exchanges are heating up, and perhaps the most uh, serious and sobering exchange of all is in our morning text. They are slandering, they are evil, they are hateful, and they're making up some ludicrous lies It gets ugly. You won't believe your ears when you hear what they accuse him of 
uh, today. And so our Jesus, he's up to it, isn't he? He is, after all, the Son of God, and it is precisely the reason he came. He knew what he was getting into when he decided to, quote, come down from heaven to give his life as a ransom to those who didn't want him. And the pompous priests and the Pharisees uh, are going to launch their attack this morning, as I've been saying, and Jesus is going to respond uh, calm, cool, and collected, but wow, uh, but with some of the most staggering and stunning words in all the Bible. So are you ready? Let's jump in here and read our passage, uh, starting at verse 22. Then they brought, the crowds brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. He couldn't speak, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished, coming to the conclusion, could this be the son of David? There, I put 2 Samuel chapter 7, the verses there, because the son of David means that God made a promise to David that one of his biological heirs would be the Christ and would sit upon a throne and rule forever. So he'd have to be the God-man. The man part related to David so he's called David's son. That's a messianic term there for you. Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard that the crowds were turning to him and believing, they said, it's only by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. I italicized that word if it went through there uh, because this fellow is a pejorative term, this guy this whatever, this dude. Verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, can we reason every kingdom divided against itself would be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they'll be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Verse 29. Or again, another point. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. And by the way, he who's not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So moral of the story, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Messiah will be forgiven, the Christ, Jesus, me, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So he closes on a, a very hopeful note, I think, there, verse 33. So make the tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make it bad, and its fruit will be bad, i.e. you guys. Uh, for a tree is recognized by its fruit, so... We are going to have our plate full this morning of interesting 
uh, intriguing insights indeed. As always, we'll break it down to bite-sized, more digestible pieces for you. It divides quite nicely, doesn't it? A very nasty allegation, the first couple verses, followed by a very thorough answer. Note takers, there you go. It's that easy. And in his answer, he does three things. He reasons with them, he warns them, and then he exhorts them. So we dive in and we check out the incident now that is really uh, leading up to this infamous exchange uh, here. They're disgraceful allegations of the Holy One of God. And there's always something with these guys. Here we go. Get those verses up there with the allegation. There, the first paragraph. Here it comes. <laughs> there it is. I'll paraphrase just to get it down deep. They bring the demoniac who can't see or speak, and Jesus heals him so that he's talking up a storm and counting the fingers everyone's holding up, right? Verse 23, everyone's stunned, and they're saying, is this the Messiah? Uh, verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard that, they offered this desperate explanation. Yes, he casts out demons. Yes, he does miracles, but he does it by the power of the devil. So there it is. We'll marinate in it for a bit here. And so there's always something with these guys. There's always something. Jesus said, well, we can't do anything right in your eyes. Uh, and Jesus is either breaking one of their supercilious which means holier than thou, uh, rules or rituals. You know, I just thought of one of them. Uh, they had this sanctimonious, holier than thou, way of washing their hands before they ate. And so they would just almost blow a trumpet. Look at me. I'm so holy. I'm washing my hands, right? And they had a way of doing it. You had to wash like a surgeon, right? And have the water dripping a certain way off. And then you had to walk and turn and let the air dry it and do this because and you're showing everybody, look at me. I'm so holy and set apart from, you know, all of that nonsense. And Jesus and his disciples, they just broke the bread with their unwashed hands and they threw a fit. They threw a fit in Matthew chapter 15. Well, or he was overstepping his authority or so they thought, but, and undermining theirs. So he's saying, don't listen to them, listen to me. They didn't like that at all. And he spoke with such authority, it blew people away. They said they were astonished. The word means to have the breath knocked out of you because he spoke not like a rabbi, not like a Pharisee. He spoke like the Lord, and they heard that and were amazed. And lastly, and, and, and what's going on here, is people were turning away from them, and they're burning some uh, view of religion and putting their trust in, in him. They're coming to the right conclusion. They're hearing the claims, seeing the miracles, and saying, aha, could this be the Messiah? Uh, with kind of a rhetorical question, meaning, yeah, who else could do the things that only God could do? And so they were envious, and that was the motivation for their hatred which was common knowledge. Even Pilate on that good Friday morning said, aha, it's because you guys are jealous of him, 
isn't it? Matthew 27 and verse 18. So the pathetic Pharisees, you know, what do you do when your opponent has the power of God at his disposal? You are outgunned, are you not? And so you know what you do? You lie like a rug. And so they were doing that, and you know it was Mark Twain or Charles Spurgeon or one of those guys, nobody knows who, who said a lie can make it around the world and back before the truth puts on its sneakers in the morning. And so, and why is that? Because we're a bunch of liars, and we like to lie. We do it quite naturally. Even those who have the Holy Spirit are still prone to lying. And that's why lies are often well-received. So um, they are going to deny. uh, They can't deny that, that, uh, that he cast out a demon, you know, but they're going to just lie and say, Uh, He has the power of the devil, right? And so uh, this is the scene. He's casting out a demon. And so normally, if you cast out a demon, you could be uh, accused of, yeah, right, whatever. Yeah, of course. You know, somebody was acting crazy, and then they calmed down a little bit. Who would ever know? You know, you said the words, come out, you know, and then they calm down a little bit. How do you know anything happened? Well, in this case, uh, people are astonished. Why? Not because he's calmed down, but because he is using a voice he never had and seeing colors because his eyes are working now. And so he's praising God with his tongue that never worked. and telling people what he sees. Oh, that's verifiable evidence that that demon is gone. Who can open blind eyes or loose a mute tongue? Only God. And so the crowd is astonished, but they're not just wowed to no end. They're wowed toward a purpose. And then the wow is bringing them to the natural conclusion, who is this guy? Well, who is this guy? He's claiming to be the son of God who came down to save the world. That's what he's claiming. And look what he can do. Can this therefore be the Messiah? And that's what tripped up the Pharisees and made them very, very nervous. <laughs> right? <laughs> two, two camps always, you know. The gospel goes out. People's lives are changed. They used to be drunks. Now they're pillars of virtue. They used to be sexually immoral. And now... They are virtuous and self-controlled and pure. How do you explain that? Well, there's always two camps, you know? Uh, One camp is coming to the natural conclusion. Yeah, he's a good man. He's speaking with authority, and he's doing what only God can do. Therefore, he must be, yeah, right. And then there's the worldly, religious, affluent leaders who harden their hearts, and they're coming to a polar opposite Conclusion, and let me warn you, dear friends, when your heart is hard and you become cynical and you embrace your sin, you will never be able to tell which way is up or down. Because if you don't have the the right bearings of truth of the universe which God brought us, if that's askewed, then everything else is like looking at a fun house mirror. 
nothing will make sense. And so to their wicked most allegation that's ever been uttered, and those who uttered it, had they, have they, had they not repented before the last heartbeat, they've been paying for that allegation for 1,988 years in a place labeled torment. And they have a few more years to go. So uh, what's their professional opinion? The Sanhedrin has put out their official statement. No, this isn't messianic. This is demonic instead. And they've been doing this since chapter 9, telling the crowds he's a sorcerer. Oh, yeah. They can't deny the power. They can't deny the guys jumping up and down who, who had no use of his feet or legs. They can't deny that. They're backed into a corner. Oh, what are we going to say? We don't deny that it was a genuine miracle. We're just telling you where the power came to do the miracle. That's all. <laughs> so, uh, and he's a sorcerer, he has dark powers. He's working by the power of the devil. Well, to be a sorcerer and to do that kind of black magic is the death penalty. It's another way to get him killed. Exodus chapter 22, verse 18, put the sorcerer to death. And so they're running out of ammo. So one writer said, embracing sin will make you spiritually insane where wrong becomes right and right becomes wrong. And here's what we're seeing, right? Unbelievers will say and think anything but the truth when they love their autonomy more than life itself. Autonomy, to live the way I want to live. I, I'll do, I, you know, I asked one guy, you know, what about your sin? He goes, what sin? You call it sin, I call it human condition, you know? And so, yeah, so unbelievers live to discredit Christian testimony, right? Because if, if they can't discredit it, well, then they're in the hot seat. And so we can't have that. How would you live with yourself thinking that you're opposing yourself to God and destined to, to meet him? And so they uh, have all kinds of ways of saying it, even if you're going to call Jesus Uh, the devil himself. And so, yeah, I mean, people do that all the time today. Uh, Irrational? Come on. Nothing plus nobody equals everything and everybody. That's how much they want to do their own thing and live in their sin. That they can say, look at everything. It just came. There was a big explosion and boom, here we are. That's as crazy as saying, you know, Jesus is doing his Uh, Miracles by the power of the evil one, grasping for straws indeed. One guy told me, I'm like, explain me. I hated Christians. When I met a Christian on the street corners when I was 18 years old, I was out partying, and there were a bunch of them passing out Bibles, and I said, whoa, wait a second, guys, let's have some fun to my friends. And I was the one out in front, leading the way, cutting them down, mocking them. And so I said to my friend, why would a guy like that suddenly preach the faith he once tried to destroy in others? Why is that? You've been brainwashed. I said, i got to admit, I have been brainwashed. And my heart has been washed, and my soul has been washed, and my conscience is clear. 
because all of my sins went on the Savior who took the wrath of God in my stead. And I'm trying to help you find the same place, my friend. But people come up with these crazy things, and I'm sidetracked by it, you know? Uh, Paul the Apostle, Festus, in Acts 26, interrupts him. He's like preaching, and just when he gets to the good part, uh, you know, about repenting of your sins and finding life, Festus, the governor, stands up and says, Paul, you're crazy. You've been studying so much, it's made you insane. We will soon find out who is crazy and who was foolish very shortly. So the Sanhedrin put out their official statement, as I said, exorcism is real. Obviously, hello, we can't deny that. It's just uh, Satan is destroying Satan. Uh, and as Dr. Spock would say, fascinating but highly illogical. Apparently, some of you have not seen Star Trek or appreciate Dr. Spock. So let's head to part one of Jesus' can we talk moment, all right? So here it comes, part one, verses 25 and following. I'll paraphrase, you follow along. Jesus knows their thoughts and their whisperings and their words and their deeds and their secrets as well. And he says, okay, what if what you're saying is true? Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household fighting against itself is doomed to destroy itself. Verse 26, if Satan is casting out Satan. He's destroying his own work. How can the devil's kingdom stand? Verse 27, and if it's true that I'm casting out the devil by the devil, power, by what power are your associates doing it? So then they will tell you the truth and they will be your judges. Verse 28, but if it's the case that I'm doing this by God's spirit, then the kingdom of God is here among you. Rut. Row, as Scooby-Doo would say. <laughs> so here we are, response to Jesus. You're looking at verse 25, a few examples, painfully silly thinking. Uh, verses 26 and 27, two rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions is pretty much all Jesus asks. And he asks about 100 questions in the gospel. And a rhetorical question makes as I've been saying to you in past sermons, makes the truth ever more poignant because it asks the question, you know, what were you thinking when you drank too much and got behind the wheel of a car? What was going through your mind? Why, why would you do something like that? It's a question, it's a statement, and then you have to answer it and kapow, right? So he tries that with them in verse 28. He says, there's only one obvious conclusion, and he makes it for them, right? So the folly of the, of the logic here. Verse 45, any kingdom divided against itself, if it's a civil war, it leaves a shambles of a nation. Uh, our nation, from what was it, 1861 to 1864-ish, somewhere around there, uh, we went through that. We lost a lot of people, almost lost our country, but apparently we didn't learn that lesson. And then uh, there's some, he goes on to say how, and, and it's true about smaller units. 
So if we're talking about uh, cities or towns or, or, or committees or a husband and wife in a little family, you know, I'm convinced that one of Satan's greatest joys in life is to help an explosion happen in a little family and then watch them do the dirty work and tear themselves to pieces, you see. They don't even need. Once it starts, oh, we're so wicked and broken that you don't even need the devil's help. As Proverbs 14, verse 1 says, a wise woman builds up her own house, but the foolish woman tears her house down with her own hands. So true of both genders. However, the Holy Spirit singles out women here for a reason. They have the power over the home. They are the make it or break it force within the family. They are. And that's why you find uh, the Holy Spirit calling out the women for doing that. Do not tear down and sabotage your own life. It's something that we can all do. And uh, it would... It ends in self-destruction. That's Jesus' point here. Why would Satan fight Satan? You know, it doesn't seem right. If a football team goes out and the quarterback is rooting for the other team and throwing the plays and tripping, putting his leg out, you know, in front of his team members, there's no hope for a Super Bowl victory there, you know. Kiss that ring goodbye. Jesus is saying, isn't this common sense? Come on, a four-year-old, Mr. Pharisee, a four-year-old knows that you wouldn't fight against yourself and hope to win, right? That would be like, and I'll probably, whatever, that would be like Joe Biden starting to tell everyone, vote for President Trump, you know, give and give all of his campaign funds over to the GOP. Why would he do something like that? He, he probably wouldn't win if he started acting like that. And so Satan casting out Satan, you know, won't he have a devil of a mess? Thank you. One laugh. <laughs> Which generated more. That's always how it goes. That's rhetorical question number one. Satan's not that dumb, but the Pharisees are that deceived. Uh, question two, if I'm using Satan's power to do exorcisms, what about your guys? Because they claim to do it. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of the believing Pharisees who believed in God, Jehovah, uh, that God granted them that power. I don't, I, you know, I don't have proof of that. But Jesus seems to say, well, they're claiming to do it. And just ask them, hey, anybody in the crowd? Why don't you tell these guys by what power you guys do it? And so one of them would have to say, hey, yeah, we know it's not the devil's power. We actually, it's God's power because only God could do that. And Jesus would say, thank you. From your own long-robed buddy knows the truth. Therefore, I'm not judging you. Your own God's judging you. Oh, yeah, they know. Ask them the power that it takes to get rid of the devil. And so he says, so if I'm doing this by the spirit of God, just know this, then the kingdom of God is here, right here, arms reach, the king of heaven 
God in a body right here among you. If, if that's what's happening here, then you're going to have to come to a, a conclusion other than the fact that you think this is happening by the devil. And so, and a couple other things to consider, you guys, he says, before you pass the point of no return. And here they are, verses 29 and 30. Part two of Jesus' response here, I'll paraphrase for you. Verse 29, for who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone more strong than him. Someone who could tie him up and then take what he wants. Anyone, by the way, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So two very intriguing things here. Uh, as Jesus makes his defense and tries to reason with them, here's what he's saying. He's saying, and guys, what's all this say about who I am, what I can do, what kind of power I have? You've admitted that the demon has been disarmed and the man is free. Who do you know that can beat up the devil? That's his question. Who could beat up the devil? What would it say? if somebody could take on the devil who has kind of destroyed the earth, who could take him on and tie him up and tell him to take a hike. What does that say about the power of the one who could do that? That's what Jesus is saying. Well, it must be pretty strong, huh, to take on the devil and not break a sweat. Hmm. So he's inviting us to imagine the devil or one of his henchmen guarding a human soul, standing guard with a threatening, like, you want him? You're going to have to take me down, kind of thing. That's what Jesus is painting the picture. Now, I don't know what demons look like. I went looking, and I found one on a video game that looked pretty good here. Okay. I wouldn't want to wrestle him down. You, you know, I can imagine what a devil looks like. And I would go, they're powerful. They're fallen angelic beings. They work, uh, they are a tough job for Michael the archangel showed up late to an appointment with Daniel and said, sorry, man, I'm a I got a little postponed because I was fighting one of the demons. It took me a little time because it was a lot of work. So Jesus says, what does it say about somebody who says, be gone, out? <laughs> what does it say about me? Fellows, I just want to know. Thank you for that picture. I think we've had enough of him. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry about that. Well, Paul said to Timothy, hey, hey treat those who oppose you kindly. Be patient with them. Uh, so and pray that they would come to their senses, quote, and escape the snare of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Well, obviously, possession would be a full manifestation of that aim to take captive somebody's life. And there he is. So Jesus has painted this picture of the demon guarding his possession 
pun intended, a treasured possession, and, and using every ounce of the, of the power of hell uh, that the devil could leverage to keep that possession the devil's, right? And that Jesus is just asking, yeah, as I've been saying, about the power that can take down that power. Hmm, it must be uh, super strong, as my grandson put super in front of every word. And so, yeah, so Jesus says, uh, who can just break into the place, break into the temple, you know, muscle them down, tie them up, and take the goods for himself and plunder him. And say, you thought he belonged to you? Guess what? He's mine. And you can't do a thing about it because I'm greater than you. I'm stronger than you. He that is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Remember the childhood taunt? Well, yeah, well, my dad can beat up your dad, right? <laughs> Our father, your father, he can mess around with any threat of yours. Any threat in all of creation, Romans chapter 8, just name the threat and your dad can beat it up. Your dad can beat it up. And so the second thought here in verse 30, and P.S., and maybe to the crowd that's on the fence, and here's what Jesus is doing. He knows their hearts. He knows the crowd just heard them say, you know what? He does it by the power of the devil. And the crowd, some of them, who are on the fence, who didn't want to come to Jesus, said, well, I wouldn't go that far. Oh, I think he's a good man. He's a nice prophet. He's well-intentioned. He's just not my cup of tea. And Jesus says, oh, uh uh-huh. By the way, you who are standing there going, well, I wouldn't say he's of the devil. In fact, I wouldn't say anything bad about your religion, your gospel, or your God. I just want nothing to do with him. Jesus says, oh, by the way, you're just as bad, just as lost, and just as damned as they are. Because if you're not with me, you're against me. There's no way to remain neutral about somebody who's claiming to be God and the charge of your eternal destiny. There's no way you cannot just dismiss him. If he can claim to be equal to God in every way, John 10 and verse 30 And then say, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins and perish forever. John 3 and verse 36, you cannot dismiss him. You're either for or against me, Jesus says, and it's no good as so many people say. Oh, I've never said an unkind word about Christians or their God. I think it's a beautiful thing that people have a crutch uh, you, you know, a crutch, I say, it's more than a crutch. It's a wheelchair, it's a stretcher, it's an ambulance, it's a fire engine. It's more than a crutch. And you're going to find out and wish you had a crutch. When the heart monitor is going beep, 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 right about there, you're going to say, oh, I wish I had that crutch and a hand to help me. Out of the grave. Thank you, sir. Let's finish up with 
some encouraging words here. Uh, we close out with a word of warning right now here. Let me put you guys at ease. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is serious. It's nothing new. Cover to cover, it says, if you continue in your sins, you'll die in them, and that can't be forgiven. There's nothing new here should uh, be upsetting people, except they think there's something, and this is a misunderstanding, there's something you can do in this life, a one thing you can do, which is not the point of the passage. This is not a one-time sin. Whoops, you did this, and now you're out, and you can't be forgiven in this life and the life to come. It's not that. It's setting your heart. It's illustrated for you there. It's years and months and days of you resisting the gospel and what the Spirit is revealing to you so that when he says, listen, first, he's good news. Any kind of sin that anyone ever commits is forgivable. Boom, it's in your verse. And then he kind of elaborates and he says, if it's a sin against the gospel, against me in, in unbelievers' struggle to find their way, and, and as we all did. If it's, if it's the understanding of who Messiah is, who Christ is, who, who Jesus is as our Savior, all of that is covered. It's when the Holy Spirit is revealing to somebody's heart truth that they continually, day after day, moment by moment, month after month, year after year, continue to say, no, I understand the gospel. I know what you're saying. I don't want anything to do with that God. That is a sin that cannot be forgiven because you've, you've put yourself outside the reach of God Almighty because the way that he is intended for you to to be saved the way that he has purposed for you to have life, you are against, and you're sinning against that. So how could you ever hope to be saved if the only way to save you is offending you? The only rope that's tossed to you, you keep tossing it back. He's saying, oh, you can't be forgiven that. So what you're in danger of, not, he does not say they did it. What y'all are in danger of, by keep pushing away the life-saving rope that's been thrown to you and calling it the rope of the devil, how will you ever escape? That's a sinful setting of your heart that has no redemption. That's nothing new. That is nothing new. That's cover-to-cover -cover stuff. Here's the idea. It's dying in your sin. That's the sin that can't be forgiven. The Christian's running around thinking, well, I, I committed it. No, no, it's not an it. It's not a thing. It's not murder, adultery, fornication, suicide. He says all of those sins, they're covered. All the sins are covered. But there's one thing that's not covered. It's pushing Jesus away your whole life when the Holy Spirit is saying, here he is, here he is, here he is. Miracle, 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 truth. And your heart knows. And the, I have met somebody who said, I would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. 
That's the sin he's talking about. You get it, you know it, you don't want him. And you keep pushing him away. He says, there's no hope for you there. And then he closes up. Well, he, he continues. It goes on, and we're going to go on next week. But I love the shift in the way that he says, listen, fellas, make the tree good. Have good fruit. Instead of all this rotten, satanic self-deception that's hanging in front of me, the fruit of hypo hypocrisy, corruption, ugliness, strife, conspiracy to commit deicide. Make the tree good. And it's going to tell one of them later. The way to do that, Nicodemus, just stop. Just stop talking. You've got to be born again. Just stop. What do we got to do? And all you're washing up the hands and you're stringing in your pocket to make sure you don't break the Sabbath. Stop. None of that. Something has to happen inside. The Holy Spirit has to come in and make you alive. If you die dead, you die twice. But if you come to life and then you die, that life can never end because it's been born of God from above. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word that even as you're denouncing your enemies and they're trying to denounce you, that there's life for us, truth that sets our hearts free. And somehow, God, even in this exchange, we're encouraged to know that we escaped the path of deception. You, you, you changed our hearts and lives. You've changed our minds. That there, but the grace of God go all of us. We, we all could have been the Pharisees. I thank you for your love. Thank you for your change. Thank you for second chances, God, and third and all. Infinite amount of mercy and grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.